What I wanted to do, let's go to the book of Revelation. Doesn't have an S on it. Amen. I just want to do that for my wife, Tammy. Because after this, I'm liable to say Revelations. <laughs> okay. But I wanted to get it for right first time. Okay. <laughs> the book of Revelation. And this book of Revelation, some of yours uh, at the heading will say this is the revelation of a particular. Well, it's a particular uh, apostle. It's John. That's right. What does yours say? I mean the heading. I'm just saying the heading, not the actual scripture, not the scripture, the heading. Okay, the revelation of Yeshua. Some will say the revelation to John, to John, to John. That's right. So you're going to see that. I just want to, but this is a revelation. We're going to, and I want to go slow. We're going to, if I can get through this whole chapter, if we do, hallelujah. If we don't, hallelujah anyway. Because what I want to do is, is I think that what I want to convey to you is, is in these first few chapters, we're going to be talking about naturally the revelation who was given to the Apostle John, where John was at. Also, this is the revelation of Yeshua given to him by Elohim. We want to talk about that. We want to talk about the seven stars and the seven lampstands. Whenever I was growing up, and I was learning naturally when I heard about the seven churches and I used to study that. It put the churches what we called in dispensations. So you would see that the first church, this happened in so many years. The second church happened. And then at the very end, you would see the church of Laodicea, which would always be in a dispensation. What I want us to do is, is I want us to erase that mentality. I want us to look at ourselves that every generation are all seven congregations. Because Yahweh is going, if you look in history, and a lot of you guys love history, you will see history does what? Repeats itself over and over and over again. And when we get to the seven congregations, we're going to see what Yeshua had an issue with, with these congregations. And also, we're going to see what good these congregations provided and what they did. So what do we want to do? We want to guard against what he was telling them and warned them about. Because you know what he's doing? He's warning us about the same thing. This is the mindset I want us to go in. I'm not discounting anything about anybody. I'm just trying to bring us into where we are today in our time because we can put ourselves in each one of these congregations in history of what he's telling us to do. And also the blessings, because they were two congregations that he didn't give a negative report to. That's right, Smyrna and who? Philadelphia. He didn't give a negative report to those. But I will tell you this, these churches, these two, out of these two congregations, out of the seven, was the most heavily what? Persecuted. Have you ever noticed that whenever we're heavily persecuted, we usually don't operate in sin? It's usually when things are going good, like Sardis, when they had a reputation of everything is going great, but he says, but you're dead. So we need to think about while all of this stuff is happening you will see like 9-11, when everything happened, you couldn't find a seat in a church because they thought the rapture was fixing to happen and they didn't want to go to hell. They didn't want to die and be left out. They wanted to punch their ticket. But now that that has waned, what happens? You can't even find somebody in a congregation. If you have something, I need to get a mic so Tammy's not there. It has to be... Hold on, hold on. Look, give her instructions and what does she do? Don't even worry about the instructions. Anybody got some rocks? No, I was watching picking. a movie, and, and the guy in the movie said, when you become precious to Yahweh, you become important to Satan, and he comes after you. That's exactly right. So if you heard what she says is, is this, is when you become precious to Yahweh, you become in, important to Satan that he wants to do away and try to stamp out. 
that's really what motivated me is when we went and saw this documentary on these congregations. I can't wait to see the rest of them. Because what happened is, is there was things that I believed, like I said before, but I just didn't know how to put my finger on everything. But boy, it just, I mean, it was popping like popcorn whenever I was seeing. Because there's, we're going through things for a reason. I mean, this is just not happenstance. And the Father is doing something powerful in this day. But here's the thing, is how are we looking at it? Are we looking at it that His hand is on this? Are we trying to look? Now, the church world as a whole, they will be looking and saying Satan is doing something. Well, I submit I think Yahweh's doing something. Because I think what Yahweh's doing is, is if we're, if we're a Laodicean congregation, then guess what? We're going to see some things that, that Satan will have certain... Look, Satan wants to deceive you and keep you as a Laodicean. He's not going to persecute you. But when you see Smyrna in Philadelphia, when you don't see any negatives in their congregations, they become the most persecuted congregations. They're doing something right. So if we end up being persecuted, it means that we're doing something right. If things are going great and Satan's not on your heel and there's just not issues and there's not darkness around you, guess what? We're not doing something right. Now I'm talking about as what we're doing as right. If we're doing something wrong, we always need to be persecuted for that. Amen? So this is where we're headed in this teaching. So verse 1 in Revelation 1, it says, The revelation of Yeshua Messiah, which Elohim gave to show something. Okay, so the revelation of Yeshua, I'm going, who gave it to him? Yahweh Elohim. Gave him this revelation to show his servants. Now that word, that word is plural, so he's not just showing John this. He's showing it to John to write down, not only for the people here, but also for us today. Because we're his servants. So we have to put ourselves, I want you to put yourself, as we go through these chapters, as you're living in this day. And I'm going to try to capture that. The best that I know how to capture that. Because, guys, we're in this. We're in this. I want to say, well, I'll say something here in a minute on chapter 4. There's so much. Man, I've written all of this. I hope I don't jump ahead. But that ain't going to happen. Okay, to him, all right, it says, To show his servants the things that must soon take place. And, guys, th- this was taking place at this time. All of these seven congregations and where John was on the Isle of Patmos when he was put there by the Romans, because that's what they did. They, they took all the people who were zealous for Yeshua and all of that, and they just took them and they put them on this island. And this island is sitting right outside of Turkey today. It's still there and it's still inhabited. inhabited. So we see here that He's telling them that there was things that were going to soon take place. And he says this, He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So I wanted to submit to you that the things that were to take place are still taking place today. Okay? In our generation. If we can see it and we will listen because as we get to the end of each one of these congregations, he makes a statement. And what is the statement? He who has what? An ear to hear, let him hear and understand what he's saying to the congregations. This is the thing for us. If we have an ear to hear, if you don't have the ear to hear, all I'm going to do is read you a story. And you'll say, this is good because this happened to them and they was good and these people were bad. And you're going to miss the point. You're going to miss the point that his word is living and it's alive and he's speaking to me and you today. No different than it was speaking to him back then. Verse 2 is very important. Who bore witness? What is a witness? A witness is somebody who testifies to something that he sees and to something that he hears. That's what a witness is. If they call you to be a witness in court, they're not going to call you as a witness on hearsay. Well, Keith told me. Or somebody told Keith and then Keith told me. That ain't a witness. 
Who was John? Who was Yochanan? Yochanan. He was an eyewitness because he was a disciple who ends up being an apostle, who ends up writing this, who has an angel ministering to him. He is the eyewitness to these accounts. This is why this is so, so important. Now, let me share something else with you, and I'll get to that in verse 4. I want to submit to you, too, all the seven congregations of, of Asia Minor, they knew John. They knew him personally. They knew who he was. He's not some figment of their mag- imagination. They knew Paul. He'd been through here. He's talked to them the, in Galatia. You see in Antioch, in, in Corinth, and you see all of these other areas. These disciples and apostles, they witnessed and ministered and preached, and they were, they were uh, punished, and they were you know, persecuted and all that for the gospel's sake. So I'm trying to tell you something here. When he writes to these seven congregations and this letter goes out to them, they know him. This is not some, this is not Isaiah. Okay, this is not Elijah. This is John, and they know him. And so whenever he's writing to them, they know who this is. So he bore witness. Now, what is he bearing witness to? To the word of Elohim. And to the testimony of Yeshua. What is That's it. Who are the saints? Those who keep the commandments of Elohim and have the testimony of Yeshua. He's bearing witness to this. Not one or the other, but both. He's bearing witness to the word of Elohim, which is the Torah. Who is Yeshua still, the word made flesh. You can put all of that in there. But he says, and to the testimony of Yeshua Messiah... Even to Hall, what? That he saw. So he's telling you that he saw, he walked with, he ministered, he saw the crucifixion, he witnessed the resurrection, he witnessed with, when Yeshua walked with them after the resurrection, he saw whenever he ascended. So we're talking about a witness here. I've really never thought of this like this until really this last couple of weeks or since that documentary, Revelation is now my number, I'm going to say almost my number one book. And the reason why I'm going to say my number one book, because when you see what happens here, there's blessings that flow from this book. See, a lot of times we read this book, and look, I'm going to tell you, it's hard to understand The reason why it's hard to understand is because of all the things that we've read through commentaries and our mind is already set to what we think he's talking about. Because, see, we're thinking that he's talking about everything's in these different dispensations. And so what happens in our Greek mind, the way we've been taught in school, what behind me doesn't matter. But you know what? If Yahweh, when does Passover come? Every spring. Has Passover happened? Yes, but is Passover going to happen again? Yes. And in the kingdom, is Passover going to happen? Yes, because he tells us that even during the millennial kingdom, if you don't come up to the feast, what's going to happen? I will withhold water from your land. So I'm thinking now, why would I think that this just happened to the church of Ephesus and I don't expect it to happen again? Because in Hebrew thought, everything is what? Cyclical. See, in Hebrew thought, it's already understood that we would know that he's not just talking about a literal. He is talking about a literal, and this literally happened. Did Passover literally happen? Yes. Where? In Egypt. But it spoke forward to something. Did the people have to keep Passover all the way till Yeshua? Absolutely. But do we keep Passover after Yeshua? Absolutely. As a memorial. He said, as often as you do this. So this is why I'm just trying to get in our mindset that the reason of these congregations, don't look at these congregations that he's trying to tell you something that happened in the past. Hello, congregations. And all that's around because he's ministering it to us. Now in here... We can find out where we are. We can find out in here where we are. 
And what's happening? What do you think? Some of us think, I feel like Smyrna. I feel like the persecuted congregation. You know what? If, if you're not persecuted, we need to probably try to figure out, because just what you said was this. Hasatan is on the trails of those who are doing what's right. He is trying to make it bad on those who are doing what's right. He wants to stamp out the light. He doesn't want one flicker of that lampstand to be. Okay? He's working hard to do something. But I'm going to show you something at the end if I ever get there. How important it is that Yeshua is with us in this whole scenario. Okay, verse 3. Is that where I'm at? Okay. Look what it says. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words. I will slow down. I thought that was interesting. Why can't I just read it in silent? You know what I'm saying? Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Well, do you know what? During that day, the common person didn't know how to read. They didn't know how to read. We just assume, what in the Middle Ages? There's a lot of people that didn't know how to read. They worked hard. When they came up, they didn't have... If you went to school, you were privileged. You were privileged. If you look at the history of back in that time, a lot of people, when they, well, they was old enough to hold a plow, they would hold a plow. If they were old enough to get out there in the field, they were shepherd boys. The shepherd boys didn't start at 18 years old. That's just our mindset. You go to work, you know, you go to work at 18, you go to school till then. Look, as long as they could get out in that field, and as long as they could pull cotton or if they could pull whatever it was, they were out there working. They didn't do the way we do today. So a lot of people couldn't read. And so as I was studying this and looking at this, because I got my stuff written in a little bitty. Oh, and also think about this. He wrote this. If you have a Bible, I want you, to, if you can hold it up without dropping all your papers, I want you to hold your Bible up. And if, you're, and if you have your Bible on a phone, hold your phone up. All right, now if you will look around, look at all the copies of this. Do you know that when John wrote this, there was only one copy? There was only one copy. What I'm saying is, is today we have many copies, so we assume that when John wrote this, that there was a printing press, and they sent this out everywhere. He wrote this down, and this letter went out to the seven congregations, and they had to read it in their hearing. Just like when Isaiah, I mean, just like when Ezra stood up in Nehemiah, and he read the Torah. Whenever Moses read for days, you know what I'm saying, Deuteronomy. What I'm saying is, is I'm trying to put our mindset, you don't understand, we have a copy, and you know what, most of us have more than one copy. But they didn't have this, so blessed is the one who reads aloud. What, is, what does Tyler do? Remember at Sukkot on that last great day, and we're sitting there, you were saying what? The one who reads, what is it? It's an honor. They're honored. That's the way it is. It's an honor to be able to read. Whenever they called Yeshua up to read, and then he said, and then this day this is fulfilled in your ears in Isaiah. Yes. Right there, okay? Just trying to put it in your psyche, what's happening. Pastor, um, you know, growing up as a Catholic, um, I know Roy can appreciate this. We were indoctrinated to, to say a prayer um, to Mary, and she was almost elevated, not almost, she was elevated above Yeshua. And it said, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed are you among women. And we had to say that over and over and over again. And uh, when, you, when you are a young child and you do that, it becomes real. And you think she is the greatest. And um, you said right here in the book of Revelation um, that, that he said, Blessed are we who read and understand the word and obey the word. And, um, and 
in Luke uh, chapter 28, there's a woman who steps out while, while Yeshua is preaching. And she said, yes, but wait, blessed is the woman who bore you and the woman who breastfed you. Blessed is she. And Yeshua stood back and said, no, quite the contrary. He said, blessed are those who obey and observe Amen. the word of Yah. Amen. So why don't these people read the word for what it is and teach us the right thing? But you got the largest religion in the world teaching false doctrine. And Amen. right here, twice, in Revelation and in Luke, she probably said so many other times, where a woman stands out and says, and he says, no, the, he, he, the word literally says quite the contrary, where the contrary means, no, you're wrong. That's right. That's right. Amen. So you see here that there's blessings in reading this, the book of Revelations. When you read it aloud into the hearing of the people, the reader is blessed. And then those who hear, because it says, blessed are those who hear. That word is Shema. Those who hear, not just to sit here and let somebody read something and you, like you're reading uh, Thomas the Train. You know what I'm saying? Watch out there, Weston. So anyway, it's just that's not what that is. It's about being blessed because the reading is, is with the intent that when you hear it, you're going to walk this out. That if you hear Thomas the Train, you're going to build your own train. Amen. But what he's saying is, is for those who hear with the intent to obey and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Because he's telling us something because there's persecutions and there's all of these things he's warning us. He's telling us the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because the book of Revelation has it all. Okay, and so we have to be knowing that, we have to know that whenever we're coming into the times of persecution... How are we going to react? How are we going to respond? Are we going to give in to these times? So this is why he's telling us before, you better be ready. This is why we practice. This is why we go through the, the many trials and tribulations in our life to prepare us for the big game, for the big trials and tribulations. If we are failing in the little things, you will definitely fail in the big things. You just cannot do it. All right, verse 4. John, to the seven congregations that are in Asia. Like I said, they knew him. So he doesn't have to go through this big thing of who he is. They know who John is. And he says something, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and is to come. From the seven spirits who were before the throne and from Yeshua. So I thought about that. I said at first, I said, well, who is and who was and who is to come. And then he says, from really the Holy Spirit. The seven spirits of the Holy Spirit are, is Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. We talk about, she writes these daily delights from these seven spirits of the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what that's talking about. We know who Yeshua is. Then I got to saying, well, what is this who was and is and is to come? And then I got to studying, and what that is, is that's a Greek form of whenever Moses says, who do I need to tell them who sent me? I am who I am. And this is why this is in there to start with, because it's about the Father. It's about Him getting glory. So this is the same thing as saying, I am that I am is sending you. I am that I am is giving you this message. I am that I am, and I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit, and you're going to have the testimony of Yeshua who bore witness to me who is in heaven. And this is what he's ministering because he's ministering this, no doubt to a mixed multitude, but there were all bunch of people that were Hebrews that lived in these seven congregations and in this area they were dispersed can we call them Hellenized yeah they were Hellenized 
If you ever notice it in Acts, and we'll get there maybe next week. If you ever notice there in Acts, um, whenever there were seven of them chosen to tend and wait on the people while Peter and them tended to the word and to prayer. Y'all remember that? Have you ever noticed that all seven of them, six of them were Hebrews, but they all had Greek names. They didn't have Hebrew names. Like, you know what I'm saying? Stephen. Stephen's not a Hebrew name. Apollo. Also, there was some guy there named Nicholas. And it said Nicholas was a proselyte. So what does that mean? That means he's grafted in because he wasn't born a Hebrew. And that's all I'm going to say on that. But what I'm saying is, is so there was a lot of people that had Hebrew heritage that were born. Either they had a Greek father like Timothy, had probably a Greek and then a, a Jewish mother and all of these things. Okay? Putting it in perspective. But you're going to see that in this terminology, that even in the writing here, these people were Hellenized. And they had been Hellenized not for just the time that Yeshua was on the earth. They had been Hellenized from whenever Alexander the Great showed up many years ago. So their way of thinking, they understood, and that's the way they would talk, is who is, who was, and who is to come. But it's an equivalent to the Hebrew of I am that I am. I wanted you to see that in there because that, that's very, very, very important. Because it goes back to the very scripture, verse 1. It says, whom Elohim sent or gave him to show. So Yahweh himself is the one who's pouring down and letting him know. Because what does Yeshua say? Yeshua say, I only do and see what my father Okay, I'm just keeping all of it. Now, this is an Akkad that's working here. This is the mystery of how the Akkad of the Elohim and the Godhead works. It just works this way, and he's explaining it this way. I've said this before. If he doesn't explain it this way, what will happen is, is the way the Greeks would do, if they turned around and says, well, the Holy Spirit, there are seven spirits of the Holy Spirit, do you know what a Greek would do? He would make a God out of the, the God of counsel. They would be the God of understanding. They would be the God of this. We would have seven gods instead of one Holy Spirit. And this is why he goes, I believe, the extra mile to explain that the seven spirits of the Holy Spirit is one spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. He's just, this is how he operates. He operates with counsel and knowledge and understanding and wisdom and power and might and the fear of Yahweh. That's the way the Holy Spirit operates. But the way our brothers, because I'm trying to put us in that day, and this is why I'm going slow. i got to put us in this day because you, if you don't understand that they were so many gods in that day. They were so many gods in that day. There's so many gods in this day. There's so many gods in this day. We ain't no different back then. You're going to see, do you know the reason why Smyrna and Philadelphia, I'm just going to give you, do you know why they were so heavily persecuted? Because they didn't accept the gods of that day. And because they didn't, they burned their books. And they burned and they, and they, they chopped down their statue. Alexander the coppersmith. Why do you think he was such an appeal to Paul? Go ahead. He didn't he? He busted in his business model. He messed up his five-year plan. He messed his 401 G up for Greek. Okay, this is what he did. He messed up his business model. When you mess up the world's business model, persecutions come in your way. This is why this is so important that we understand. That's exactly right. When you bust up the business model, see, they don't mind. Coexisting is fine with these people. As long as you let us have our many gods, you can have your God. You can have your Elohim as long as we get to have ours. But when you start saying that there's only one Elohim, they got an issue. Especially when people are not coming to their 
these artisans who are making all of these statues and is writing all of these books of witchcraft, Harry Potter's and all of these things, and when you're not buying all of that stuff, you know it's really a shame. I'm just going to say it because I do things like that. The deal is, is it, it's really a shame that Christians would read Harry Potter. Because the whole idea from her as an author says that what I want to do is I'm producing this because I want a college, I want a school for witches and warlocks. This is what I want to do is teach witches and warlocks. I want to teach them an anti-way to the Christianity part. She's not silent about that. She throws that out there. And, and, and you know what? She's a billionaire today because of the books and the movies. Yes. Well, she lost her way. She has lost it. Well, she'll bit. lose a little bit if she I come know, out against LGBTQZ. She's, she's gotten out there a little bit too. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's sad that the witches are against them. And, 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 and a lot of the congregations in the church is not anymore. That's right. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. But what I'm saying is, is this. But guys, what are we allowing our kids to be a part of? See, we so we we allow this. You think it's funny, and we think that it's this all these little look. There's many gods. There are still many gods. There's superheroes, and there's all of these things. And if you would just go and study as parents, just go study the history or what's behind it, and whoever's creating this, what is their goal? That's all I ever ask. I'm not telling you, I'm not here going into nobody's house, and I'm not doing that, but I'm telling you, somebody's going to teach your children. And what you allow, sometimes things happen in our lives, and we don't really understand why is this happening, because we don't even understand by default we have other gods that's in our home, and it's in our, it's in our business and our places. We don't think about that. But why I'm saying this is this is why the, the message is to these seven congregations because we're here somewhere, and we may have a little bit in every one of them. We probably do. But this is why this is so important that we know and we can recognize exactly what the enemy's trying to do in our lives. And like I said before, when you come against their, their 401s, the thing is, is they're going to rise up, and they're going to try to take you down, and this is what happened. You know, Paul Stonings, that's the reason why he got in a lot of trouble, not just because of what he did to the Jewish people, because, you know, uh, the rabbis, in, when he went in the synagogues, I'm talking about like with Alexander the Coppersmith and all of them, these were, they could have been Hellenized Jews, or they could have been whatever you wanted to call them, or proselytes or whatever. But the deal is, is they did not like it, Whenever their business hurt. And you read this over and over in Acts. You'll see what happened to these apostles when this happened. This happened to John. That's why he got sent to the Isle of Patmos. If that's the right way to say it. Okay, where am I at? Okay, verse 5. Okay, and from Yeshua, the faithful witness, because he was sent. The firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. This is who he is. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by what? His blood. Amen? So know what? His blood matters. His blood is he paid the price for the wages of sin is death. And look what he did in verse 6. And he made us something. He made us a kingdom. A priest to Elohim and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And everybody says, Amen. This is what Peter was talking about in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 9. He said that we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a set-apart nation, a set-apart people for his own possession. This is who he's addressing here. Okay, this is the way we have to look at ourselves. He's not just talking now to John. He's talking to all of us that he has made us a kingdom and he has made us priests to be witnesses of Yeshua in this earth. And when you do that, persecution is going to come. Verse 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see, even those who pierced him. Who are the ones who pierced him? His own brothers, the Hebrews, you know, Israel. They pierced him, and what did he say? 
all the tribes of the earth. Who is that? That's the nations. So he's telling both are going to see him. Not just one group, all tribes of the earth. And they will wail on account of him, even so, amen. Then he says something. He says, I'm the olive Tav. You know, I was just sitting here as I was teaching this, and then I hear the word of the tongues and the interpretation, and it comes from this scripture here. And that's what the, that's what the message was. I am the olive and the Tav. I'm the beginning and the end. And this is what we're meant. This was confirmation to me that this is what he wanted to bring. To see, this is how awesome this is. The workings of the Holy Spirit. What did we just say a while ago? Not only to the one who was, who is, and is to come, but the seven spirits of the Holy Spirit. Seven spirits of the Holy Spirit just gave out a tongue and interpretation and, and quoted exactly what we're reading. And I know they don't know. I didn't call them to and tell them what I was teaching on. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just bringing that out, guys. Yahweh gives us little bitty kisses all along the way. And then if you get to a place that you can't get close enough to him, you think he'll at least blow you a kiss. Amen? He will. He loves us. So he blew me a kiss this morning. No, he really just laid one on me. And I'm good with it. And then he says this, I am Olive Tav, says Yahweh Elohim, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. All right, verse 9. He says, I, John, your brother and partner in the what? He ain't lying. In the tribulation, because tribulation was going on at that very moment. He says, I'm a partner with you in this tribulation. And do you know what he's telling me and you today? He's still partnering with us in these tribulations. He's still there. The light and the witness is still through these tribulations. He's still partnering with us. And the kingdom. He's a partner. He's a brother and a partner, not only in the tribulations, but in the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Yeshua. This is where we have to be. It's not easy to be patient and to endure tribulation. But we get a reward for those who will do this. And then he says, was on the isle called Patmos on account of what? Why was he on that? Why was he banished to there? Because of the word of Elohim and to the testimony of Yeshua. When we get to Revelation chapter 12, which would be 10 years from now. No, but when you get there, you think about who does, who does Hasatan go after? Those the, the children, the offspring of the woman who keep the commandments and have the testimony of Yeshua. And right here, and, and you know what? I mean, I, I go to chapter 12. I just, I mean, this all jumped off of the page just recently to me. About man, right there, all in just this one chapter, he's telling us automatically who you are. If you're keeping the, the Torah, and if you are, have the testimony of Yeshua, if you're doing that, guys, He's writing this right to you and me. He's writing this right to you and me. He's talking to us is about as plainly as he can talk to us. We can't read this like this is some apocalyptic. How can you say the word? Popcorn elliptic thing is out in the in the future. Because you put this in a future, then you know what? It doesn't affect you and me because it's in the future. See, Satan wants us to live either in the past or in the future. Why? Because we can't affect anything if we're in the past because I'm not there. I can't affect anything if I'm worried about if I'm in the future because I'm not there. He wants to come. And, and do you know that most of the time when you read commentaries, that's what it is. It never deals with the present. It never deals with the present. Dudes, we're in the present. And dudettes, I don't want to leave you out. We're in the present. And he's speaking to us that we're, we are the seven congregations. We're fitting in here, and he's walking among us. And I'm going to prove that to you in a minute, tending to us. But right now, this is important to us to realize that there is tribulation. And that for those, and this, this message is to those who have the word of Elohim and the testimony of Yeshua. Look at verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. 
stop. What is the Lord's Day? Do you know, well, there's no doubt there is the seventh day. How many people believe that the Lord's Day is on what day? Sunday. What do they believe? You didn't catch the word they? Okay. Usually, that's what we're, the Lord's Day, because I want to stop here. I want to slow down. I don't want to read past this, because this is important. Okay, I'm going to read something from the IVP commentary also that will show you something. Because when he says Lord's Day, he didn't just throw that out there to trick anybody. But now if you read regular Christian commentary, the Lord's Day is the first day of the week is Sunday. Because they believe that's when he was raised. That's what they're... Can I submit to you, if this was written in 95, 96 A.D.? Do y'all know what that means? Does anybody know what that means? All right, can I just say this? Does anybody believe that this letter was written past 96 or 97 A.D.? Some will say it might have been written in 70. I'm good with that. It might have been written in 85. I'm good with that. I'm good with it being written in 95. I don't know. But I know it wasn't written after that. Okay, well, see there, ding, 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 because, see, listen to me, the Lord's Day couldn't be Sunday or the first day of the week, and you know why? Because that didn't show up until the middle of the second century, in the year 150 or 151. That didn't show up until the second century, and this is not the second century. There was no, there was nobody, there was no... In Christendom, if you want to say it that way, or in Messianicdom, okay, there was no Sunday worship. Where do you think John would have been ministering when he ministered this? Because he was led out of the Isle of Patmos, and he was able to take this letter, and he ministered to these seven congregations. When do you think he ministered to them? On Shabbat. But there's a reason why, because this, this is what now, I'm going to read this commentary piece. I'm not saying this is totally right. But what I'm telling you ain't right, it ain't Sunday. That's what I'm telling you. That ain't the day when he's talking about the book of Revelation. It says, this is the IVP. It says, one day a month was dedicated to honor of the emperor of Asia Minor. Okay. Where were these seven congregations? Asia Minor. Okay, so what he's telling us is that one day a month during this time period of when they were there, one day a month they always honored the emperor, whoever he happened to be. But the believers dedicated one day, probably each uh, week, to Messiah's honor. In other words, we're not, we're not honoring Caesar. We're not honoring Artemis. We're not whoever, Nero. We're not honoring him because they know what? There is no Elohims but one. So they would honor Yeshua. So there's no, day, there's no doubt that what they're saying is, is they could use, instead of honoring somebody who's pagan, they would replace it and put Yeshua in that place. That's really what they're saying here. And this is what he's saying. Perhaps viewing... Now listen to me. It goes along now. You, you popped it out just a minute ago. It says, But the believers dedicated one day, probably each week, to Messiah's honor, perhaps viewing the coming of the day of the Lord. That's really what they were thinking about when it was the Lord's day. Because why? Because they knew about the resurrection. They knew that when he ascended, he said, I'm coming back. And these people, John was looking for Yeshua to come back before he died. He didn't realize what, because guess what? We're on a need-to-know basis. He showed him a lot of stuff in the book of Revelation. But the way John was figuring that all this stuff was going to happen before he died. He was looking for the day of the Lord. Not the Lord's day. The Lord's day was not Sunday. That didn't happen until 
the middle when Constantine and all of that bunch changed it later. So we got to, you see how it's important that we understand our Hebrew roots? You see how it's important that we understand what's going on during this time? Understand that, that John did not have it even in his psyche to be on a different day of worship. You see what I mean? It's that simple, but it's that difficult. Because people haven't been taught. We've been taught lies because Satan came to do something. He was deceiving the seven congregations. No different than he comes to change times and law. And that's what happened after into the second century on. That's how we ended up in what we're doing. But you know what? Yahweh's tending to us today. And he's bringing us back and he's giving us revelation exactly what we are to be doing. Not what Satan wants us to do and how he is... Pull the wool over our eyes if we got wool on our eyelids. So this is what he said then. He says, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and you send it to the seven congregations to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice, guys, I'm going to read this. Did John know Yeshua? I want you to, I want you to, now I want you to picture something here. So he said, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstand, where? The midst. He's dead in the middle of this place. Every congregation that has the Torah and the testimony of Yeshua, I'm telling you, I'm not dissing on anybody else. I, it, I, that's not my business. My business is, I've already read to you those who have the word of Elohim and have the testimony of Yeshua. I've already read this to you. I can tell you this, I promise you this, if you're doing that, he's walking in the very midst of this place. Maybe our eyes can't see it, but he's in the midst of this place. He's in the midst because when he can give out a tongue and interpretation, knowing what's going to be happening here, you know why that happened? It was for you and for me to know that he is involved in his people. He's given us a hug and a big kiss because he's walking in our midst. We've got to have a paradigm shift to really know that he's not up there in space somewhere dancing off on the different planets. He's right here in our very midst. This is why he knows. This is why we read on. That's why we read on Rosh Kadesh. If he's in, if we're in the heavens, guess where he's at? He's there. But guess what? If we're in the ground waiting the resurrection, where is he at? He's right there with us. He's right there in Sheol with us, waiting on the resurrection. Where am I at? Verse thirteen. Right in the middle, and he says this: one who's. The Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs on his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined by the furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a two-edged sword. Hebrews 4, 12. The writer of Hebrews says what? The word of God is powerful and quick. It's like a what? Sharp like a what? Two-edged sword. Do you know what that two-edged sword does? What it can do is that two-edged sword, it will separate. One, one edge will heal. The other edge will destroy. Where we at depends on what part of that sword is used on us. Because remember, the same act will either deliver or destroy. There's a two-edged sword that's coming out of Yeshua's mouth. One is to heal his people, and one is to destroy the enemy. He don't have to have a bunch of different swords. He don't have to have an AR-15 for this and a whatever for that. That ain't what he has to have. Out of his mouth comes this two-edged sword. His face is, was like the sun shining at full strength. Y'all want to go out there and look and see? Stare at it for about 20 minutes full straight. See if you can see. You'll be blind. 
Now, John was the son of Zebedee. I want you to look and see what happens. John, guys, this is why I say that it sickens me whenever people say, I can't wait till I get this. I'm going to see you show. We're going to high five, low five, bump, elbow. We're going to create a handshake. Look, this is why I wanted to put this in your psyche. And that's not a bad word in this. Okay. Put it in your mind. And it's this. John knew him. John ate with him at that last meal that they ate. He saw him. He witnessed him. He saw him in the resurrection. But guys, he's never seen Yeshua like this. He ain't a baby in a manger, and he ain't one hanging on no cross. He is risen, and within him, there is power. John has never seen him like this. And what happens is, is a lot of times we see him as a baby in a manger and we see him as one on, we don't see him like this. And this is our problem. This is why we don't have fear. This is why we don't have the fear of Yahweh in our life. Because we don't see him like this. We have him as a baby or one hanging on the cross. We don't see him one who's dressed like he's dressed and who has fire coming out of his eyes. And when he speaks, there's a roar of ribbing of Living water is flowing out of him. John knew him. He saw him. Look what happened to John when he saw him like this. He said, I fell at his feet as though dead. Where is this man? I've been waiting on you. It's good to see you again. You know, you want to go get a burger with no cheese because it's not kosher. What do you want to do? Hey, hey. Man, it's good to see you again. You don't see that here. When he saw, when John saw, if John saw him like this, and he fell as one dead, we got to understand who Yeshua is and what he is today. And we got to get this image of him being in a manger and on a cross out of our mind. Because as long as we keep him there, we will have more power in our mind than he does. And that's the issue and that's the problem. You have something? You want to get the mic? Talking about an image in our mind, I heard someone on the radio this week say, when we create an image in our mind of what he is, hanging on a cross or in a manger, that's idol worship. Mm-hmm. Because we have created an image. That's right. It's a good thought. But he said here, that's right. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me and saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys. Of death and hates. Write therefore these things that you have seen, those that are, because it was happening at that moment, and those that are to take place after this. This book, we are to internalize the those that are and the those that are to take place. If we can't internalize the those that are, if we can't put ourselves in what's going on in that day and time, you're never going to see what's to come because you can't relate. You cannot relate if you got the wrong image of who Yeshua is. If we've got an image of Yeshua being in a manger on a cross, we got the wrong image. We have to have that He is a conquering King. And he has power, and he's got, when, he, when he's got a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth, that's what he's got coming out of there. And you want to make sure that you're on the right side of that blade. Verse 20, it says this, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands, he tells you what they are. The seven stars are the angels. There's an angel that watches over every one of these congregations. 
These angels are still watching over these seven congregations. Because we're part of these congregations. These seven congregations are one congregation. This is what it's about. Not seven individuals. Seven is one. This is a cod. Everything that happens here is about the one that's going the rest of the way through this book. That we are that one. We are in a cod. He is ministering to us. Those who are and those who take place after this are that that takes place. And then he says that the seven lampstands are the seven congregations. Now I want to read one more verse, chapter 2, verse 1. Because this is important. I'm not going to talk about Ephesus today, but I want to end with this one. To the angel to the church of Ephesus, write. Because what he's telling you is, is what he's doing here, he's doing to all seven. Okay? He doesn't have to repeat it. Over and over again. But this is what he says. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Who does what? Who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Yeshua is walking among, tending to those lampstands. He's tending to the lights. He's tending to his people. He's walking. See, Satan comes in. Satan comes in here to what? Steal, kill, and do what? Destroy what the Father has. But do you know what? You got to picture that Yeshua here, he's saying Yeshua is walking around amongst us. He's, he's tending to us. Every one of us have issues that in our life that need to be fixed. And he's walking around here touching your issue if you can receive it and if you can get yourself in that place he can fix our issues but some of them he's going to tell them we need to repent and when we that's the only way we're going to fix this issue uh, i see this repent repent fixes the issue not dwell on the issue fixes it and now let's move on okay over here i see that there's there's fear there's stress there's whatever boom he touches he walks around and he touches his people. He's walking amongst these congregations. Guys, this is powerful news to us. To know how Satan is out there trying to destroy the congregation. He's out there trying to destroy. But Yeshua is actively in there countering everything he's trying to do. And a lot of times what we do as individuals, we put ourselves because we don't let him tend to us. We don't think because we don't see him. We see him as a baby in a manger and somebody hanging on a cross. And to us, when you see that, I'm just telling you that. When you look at a baby, don't you think that you in the natural have more power than that? Yeah, you're not threatened by a baby. And when you see somebody hanging on a cross, you're not threatened by that either because it looks dead. But when you see Yeshua like this, you're going to fall down on your face as dead because you know, raise your voice. Because you know what? Because you know that he just by that, what is Hebrews for? Because his word is like what? Sharper than any two edges or doing what? Discerning the thoughts and the intents of the heart. This is what happened to John. When he saw him, he saw that fire coming out of his eyes and that two-edged sword. What he done? He realized, woe is me. Woe is me. Because I'm not perfect. I'm not in this state that he's in. Mortal hasn't put on immortality yet with me. I can't stand in this presence. But this is who is walking among us. He's walking among us. He loves us. He knows our shortcomings. But if you will, he wants to touch you. And he wants to fix the things that was happening to these congregations that was causing a great divide. And I just want to just share this with you. You might as well love it. The, ones, the two churches that he didn't have anything against were heavily persecuted. Because they were making a stand for Yeshua. And they were being martyred and they were being persecuted. They were being thrown in prison. And so my thing is, is for us, this is a mindset. Is we're going down this road and in our life for what's happening in this world today. Because I'm telling you. Satan wants control. I believe Satan knows his time is short. 
and he's gonna he he's in full force trying to do what he's trying to do to deceive those who have the testimony of Yeshua and who have the Torah. And that's the reason why I'm so passionate and what he stirred in our heart that we got to have a paradigm shift. I hope this message gets out. I know it goes out on HR, but this message, this is the message for this hour and this time for us in this congregation to know who we are. And guys, we better get a vision of who he is. We better get this vision of who he is. We need to see him that fire popping out of these eyes and get this other vision out of our mind because when we do that, I hate to say it, but it is a mindset and we have to have our paradigm shifted and changed and to know that he is walking in our midst. Amen. The glory of the Lord, redeem.